Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and get started now. Hey everybody, welcome back to Sensibly Loud Radio. This is Brandon and I'm joined by Mountain Carl. Carl, how's it going? Oh, Brandon, it's doing pretty well. I've had a a nice and and stressful weekend trying to get ready for this wedding that I'm about to be in. I have the privilege of being a best man in my friend's wedding. And of course that comes with coming up with a speech. Um, You know, pretty, pretty sure that I've got that wrapped up which is the good news. Uh, even better news is I think I've worked in lyrics from Avril Lavigne songs. <laughs> so we're, we're going we're gonna to see how this goes. It's not the final draft. So, Andrew, if you listen to this later and then you find out that I didn't work in Avril Lavigne, I don't want you to be disappointed. But uh, it's, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. So we're getting ready for that. Uh, I, uh, I got mustache envy from one of his friends when we went to his bachelor party and I looked like a homeless Ra's al Ghul for a little while. I had a giant beard with a bunch of white in it. I shaved that thing off. And so now I've got the mustache. I have the power. And uh, so I'm ready to rock that for the wedding as well. And uh, I think I'm going to carry that over to Halloween. Hmm. Yeah. So I, think I you know should. you've been getting ready for that uh recently with with your party and everything and then you've got wedding stuff going on because you're about to perform yeah yeah i do too uh but uh yeah that is a very rocking mustache you got there it's uh it's 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 almost i'd say it's about like uh a millimeter away from being a full-blown uh handlebar mustache it's 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 there it's like right on the cusp but uh yeah it's pretty fantastic so i think you should keep it for halloween and might as well just keep it throughout uh november for that whole you know uh mustache november or whatever they call it no shave november no Uh, shave november november whatever you whatever it is yeah of course i haven't really shaved my beard in a while i just trim it but uh yeah but uh i definitely want to touch upon the best man um scenario so how many times have you been best man at weddings uh Pro, this makes two now. okay yeah so yeah, and, i've been lucky enough to do that yeah and uh so what's what's the biggest takeaway from best man for our listeners who have never been in that position before um the biggest takeaway is that your speech needs to be good enough especially if your uh if the maid of honor is the sister of the bride you need to make sure that you absolutely dunk on that sister in front of everybody because you're just a friend right and so you show up and you just like rip off this amazing speech and then she comes in and she's crying most of the time and she can't believe that her sister is getting married and then you're just like no mine was way better and then you just drop the mic and walk off (laughs) (laughs) no i'm just kidding that was uh i've had 
I've had the privilege of being best man a couple times. The the biggest takeaway that I have from all of that is that you are the groom's bitch and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you need to be like picking up his coattails and like following him around everywhere and never leave him in a position where he's not completely satisfied with the whole experience. Because if you do anything less than that, then you're, you're falling short of best man duties you know the whole i think the whole idea behind best man duties and bridesmaid duties is that i'm sorry maid of honor duties is that you try to make they've got wedding coordinators and stuff like that a lot Mm -hmm, of times mm -hmm. but you you have to make the experience as stress-free that's right for the bride and groom as possible and uh and yeah i think dunking with your speech comes hand in hand with that you know bring some levity to the room but uh, more importantly, is uh, is to make sure that they're never in a position where they're they're so stressed out that they're like, "What am I doing?" Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that comes that comes naturally for any any red blooded male. <laughs> yeah. So you gotta you gotta you know squash that real fast and uh, and make sure that they're having a great time uh, because that's what it should be. I mean, like the the worst thing I've heard about weddings, uh, having never been through one is that you go through all this prep and you go through all this work and the entire night is over in a flash, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you don't remember anything that happened. And that's not as, it has nothing to do with like alcohol consumption and stuff like right. that. I'm talking about just the fact that like, it's such a flurry of events and you're there to, to please everybody that's in both parties. And you're always walking around being the ambassador from your family to every table. And I think that when you're, when you're done, uh, you don't remember much of it. It's kind of like when when you cook the world's greatest meal and it takes you three days to get there mm-hmm. and you put it all together and you eat it in 30 minutes and you're kind of like, holy shit, that was amazing. And then all you can remember is stories about how good that meal was. Yeah. <laughs> like you can't, right. you, you'll never remember exactly how it tasted. So uh, yeah, I think the the biggest thing for me has always been try to make it as stress-free as possible on the groom. I felt like I did a better job last time than I did this time, but uh, completely different people, completely different scenarios. What is your biggest takeaway? How many times have you been best man? I've been best man twice. Uh, Once for my buddy Kessler. Uh, That was the first time. That was probably about, oh, God, 10 years ago, something like that. And then then for J-Mac, I was best man for J-Mac. Right on. So both times were very different. Uh, the first time was, you know, a little more nerve wracking because we're, you know, out of town in another city, you know, in like just west of the Woodlands. And, you know, it's hot, even though it's November and you're sweating in this tux. But yeah, you, you hit it right on the money in that, uh, you know, that's exactly what your job is to do. It's to be ever present and to be there for them when they when they need you and to basically just kind of take a load off their mind of you know oh crap we forgot to get this or we need to go get that or forgot the ice or whatever you know that's on you yeah Yeah. it's on you to help out and as well as uh preparation as well uh making sure they're prepared uh that they're not missing anything that's part of their tuxedo or attire showing up there uh i would say kessler was definitely more of uh I had my hands full with him because he was just kind of ADD and all over the place. Um, but he 
he was a thousand percent for sure, you know, like this is the woman he wants to spend the rest of his life with. We had a lot of talks going into it and, uh, you know, and I knew that he was going to pick me as, as best man. So yeah, with that, you have the gravity, uh, so (laughs) of, of going in and, and basically presenting a little bit of a, just opening up the scope for other people to see like how much of an impact, you know, you, this person has on you and you have on them and have that, how that friendship, how strong that is. And so with that, it's, yeah, it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's very much a challenge. Like, yeah, it's, it's definitely a privilege, but it's, it's a challenge as well to get the speech right. And I've known some people that, and I've been to, you've been to weddings too, where it's just like people go up there and they wing it and it just doesn't sound right. You know, it's just kind of right. like whatever. But yeah, I think it's very, uh, you definitely have to like get some talking points down. Um, just like if you're getting give a presentation and mm-hmm. just, you know, and just speak from the heart. That's the biggest thing. But my biggest takeaway is I, and just me being me, I always have to interject humor somewhere in there. And, yeah. uh, that definitely helps, you know, uh, because, you know, people hear these speeches all the time. And so you kind of want it to stand out and definitely make it your own. And I think adding in a bit of humor as well as, uh, you know, whether it's an antidote or, uh, a memory that you have with that person, uh, a lot of times the, the memories I kind of interject are, uh, the most ridiculous ones, which usually were not sober. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and that's, that's the way to do it. Yeah, there's been a little bit of alcohol or something like that. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's fun to do. I think J-Mac was probably the most, uh, the easiest uh, best man duties I've had. And giving the speech that I gave, I kind of gave more of a heartfelt speech. And, you know, but it gets nerve wracking when you're giving a speech. Um, Kessler's wedding, I think I had to give a speech in front of like 200 or 300 people. It was a lot. And yeah. I'm outdoors and there's a huge spotlight on me and, you know, but you just go with it. You know, it's just like anything else. You're, you're about to ride this really big roller coaster. And as soon as you get through the first drop, everything else is easy. It's all downhill. So that's when you start quoting directly from old school yeah, and, uh, and do the speech from that where you just get completely blitzed and talk about people walking out of your bathroom blindfolded, like a damn magic trick. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So hopefully you don't black out and go elsewhere. But yeah, this wedding that's coming up for me uh, next weekend for my friend Heather and, you know, she's getting married to her fiance, uh, John, and we're going to be at the mountains in North Carolina uh, near Perlier, which is like r- the far northwest corner um, of North Carolina. And this is the first time that I'll be a man of honor. So I'm not expecting it to be that much different. You know, it's just going to be kind of strange. Uh, And the thing is, too, it's not going to be a very conventional wedding because it's outdoors. So it's not like I'll be standing up there on the girl's side and be the only dude. I think they're just intermixing everybody on both sides. It really doesn't matter. Like, you know, here's the groom's side. And it's just going to be very uh, lax. Let's put it that way. But I mean, sometimes when they do the best woman thing and then the 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 woman dresses up in the tuxedo. I suspect that you've got a really nice ball gown picked out. <laughs> yeah. 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 I do. I do. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, so I've got a little bit of my speech put together. Um, and I'm kind of focusing more on that, uh, later on this week because I've been listening to this song over and over and over because not only am I doing the speech, but I'm also performing in the wedding and, I'm performing the song that um, Heather and John will be dancing to um, as husband and wife right after the vows. So to get 
things started off. Uh, and then after that, I'm going to consume a lot of alcohol, hopefully, because I'll be like, okay, I'm over that. Yeah. That's usually how that works as well. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's like no pressure, right? Like, you know, it, right. it's only the, the first time they're dancing as husband and wife. Right. And come on, I'm just the one providing the music for it. So no, yeah, no good. pressure. So yeah, it, it, it has been a little nerve wracking. I'll say going up into it and I've practiced this song hundreds of times and leaving work and going to work, I'm playing it and singing in my car and I've definitely got the guitar work down. I actually went over to my parents' house uh, Friday night after work and uh, performed it in front of them. And and this time without the aid of listening to the song, you know, and I was a little shaky here and there um, mm -hmm. because it I haven't really had too much time to practice because I've been working really out of hours. And, uh, you know, in terms of practicing without the aid of listening to the song, but I'll, I'll get there. I mean, I've got a week. Uh, the wedding is actually a week from today, so... Yeah, uh, listeners, I will not be on next episode, uh, but stay tuned because there will be an episode. I believe uh, J-Mac will be on, and there might be some special guests as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, we definitely got you covered on that. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a little, little nervous going into this because I haven't performed in front of people in a while. And it's different. You know, it's kind of like anything else. When you, you get used to doing something, it's it kind of comes natural. So I'm hoping that it just kind of comes back to me. The good thing about this wedding is that there's not going to be a whole lot of people there. So maybe 40 or 50 people there. So before, uh, you know, the wedding starts and everything, I'm going to try and meet as many people as I can. Cause I think yeah. once I get familiarized with the faces that helps, you know, just like going into a meeting or giving a presentation, you're like, Oh yeah, I know this person. I know this person. And you know, it takes the edge off. So, uh, can I guess what song you're going to sing? Oh, go ahead. Okay. My my first guess is the dubstep cut of Steve Perry's "Oh Sherry." <laughs> is that not right? The uh, the and, and it sounds like Transformers having sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's it's pretty. It's uh, pretty. Do you think that? Do you think that that's gonna make the cut or? <laughs> <laughs> if that were the case, I would just get tanked before I performed. You know, that probably yeah. helped me out even more. <laughs> just get just get wasted and press play. Yeah. So uh no, it's uh it's a song by Aaron Lewis of Stained and it's called Tangled Up in You. Um I may or may not record it uh with the equipment I have here at the house and maybe play it on one of our future episodes, but yeah, we'll see. But uh, yeah, so I'm I'm traveling. I'm flying out uh, Friday, and I'm actually going to be one of the first people to show up at the cabins along with Heather and John. So it allowed me to kind of get ready and get synced up with the audio equipment and practice it a few times. And I think I'll be ready to go. I mean, good deal. If I was like showing up late or something, I mean, that's just going to add to the stress. So might as well show up early, right? I, I understand. Yeah. Talk about uh. Talk about the pictures you sent me for Halloween, because I'm going to be honest when you were like, hey, man, I'm throwing a Halloween party. And I was like, that's pretty tight, because all I remember from Halloween parties is college. And then <laughs> I, I realized that what I'm walking into may actually be a homemade haunted house. And now I have an asshole pucker factor of like 11 because I don't know what I'm getting into. So what, what am I, what am I walking into and what are you going to be? Uh, so you're going to be walking into, yeah, 
pretty much like a a homegrown haunted house. Uh, we're going all out this year. Last year was pretty good, but we kind of put it together last minute. We didn't really get the invites out until the last minute, which reminds me that this week I need to really, really um, hammer out some invites and and you know touch base with people, make sure they're coming, um, and that way we get a good turnout. But we're going everything. I mean. We're, we're pulling out all the stops. We're going to have dry ice. We're, we have this uh, industrial-sized fog machine. Um, so that's going to be out in the backyard. Uh, maybe we might have one in the front yard, too. Uh, and we have uh, some figures and some... There's, there's going to be some surprises. Uh, but the picture I sent you last night, we have uh, in the kitchen... You know, we've converted everything out to LED, so everything's red in the kitchen and... And it's funny because there's these hooks at the top that used to hold like this this sort of uh, uh, holder for pots and pans and things of that nature. And, you know, we don't really do a lot of cooking in this house. So we took that down after we moved in. And so uh, Daniel bought these chains and some of these chains have hooks and body parts and stuff hanging. So uh, it looks pretty cool. But, um, yeah, let's just say there's, there's going to be some some scares and some pretty cool elements to it as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking You're going to want to leave those body parts up year round. Really, really keep the spirit alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't use this kitchen shit anyway. I'm just going to leave these body parts up. Um, what did you, what did you decide that you're going to, you're going to be? So I actually went out to Kohl's yesterday and found a lot of stuff on clearance rack. So I, I got a red polo mm. and a sort of like a, uh, I don't know what to call it. Like. You know, one of those uh, Panama Jack type of uh, hats. Uh, it's right. got like the red band and it's white and stuff. Kind of like a very, very small fedora type thing. And uh, basically, I'm going to be Dotson from uh, Jurassic Park. And <laughs> for people that don't recall who Dotson is. Uh, yeah, talk talk about like an ancillary character. Yeah. So, you know, he's an ancillary character. But he's the guy who shows up with the Barbasol can and he gives it to Wayne Knight's character, uh, Dennis Nedry. And of course they show up, they're outside and, you know, inside the can has a little holder that, you know, unscrews out of the base that he puts all the dino DNA in. And so, you know, Dennis Nedry loves it. But when he first sits down, he's like, he's like, look at you, you're, you're trying to look like some CIA spy or whatever. He's like, he's like, no one cares. And he's like, Dotson, we got Dotson here. He's like, look, no one cares, yep. you know? And, uh, yeah, so I'm basically going as Dotson and my buddy Peter, is going to be dressed up as Dennis Nedry with the Hawaiian shirt and everything. And I have the Barbasol awesome. can, uh, the glasses, everything. So it was pretty cheap, probably the cheapest uh, Halloween costume I've had. That's a, that's a pretty solid take. I like anytime you pick random ancillary characters and then like that one guy that gets it, that's the payoff. Yeah. 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 I, uh, since I've got the mustache, I obviously have to lean into that for <laughs> my costume. And, uh, it's it's been i could have gone a couple different ways with it or a few different ways i guess it could have been like a police officer mm -hmm. i could have been uh you know news broadcaster um or uh my my personal favorite that i need to that i need to do because i have the mustache is mario <laughs> so i need to be um this year uh tanuki suit mario which is the best kind of Mario for those of you who don't know. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, that's the one with like the the ear, like the cat ear looking thing, and like the raccoon tails. Oh um, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's gonna be great. 
you're you're welcome uh but <laughs> but yeah no that'll be it and i'm trying to convince mountain girlfriend to go as uh she, it started she was like well you want me to go as peach right and i was like no i, th- I think i want you to go as like sexy bowser or something and <laughs> she was like no i don't think so um ever goes like donkey kong <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that idea is gonna go over well it's, it's not it has right and, uh i think she's, she's and she could always do yoshi or something yeah yeah i told her sexy yoshi was always a great pick yep yep but no no she's just not gonna do it i think she's gonna stick with the peach thing that's fine <laughs> so oh well is what it is, but I get to do, I get to be Tanuki suit Mario and that is the most nerdy thing I can be. So, well, that's awesome. Well, we had some, uh, pretty amazing news come down the pike and just as we predicted, there were going to be a lot of, uh, news for the Batman, um, coming down in terms of, uh, casting. So yeah, we've had quite a bit since last week, uh, Jonah Hill backed out of the Batman, but no fear because Paul, uh, Danny, uh, Paul Dano. Dini, Paul Dano. <laughs> yeah, uh, I that's right. That <laughs> yeah, Paul Dano uh, is now signed and is confirmed to play the Riddler, uh, as well as Zoe Kravitz has been cast at, officially as Catwoman, and we now have a composer, and that composer is Michael uh, Giacchino, and he uh, he basically was the composer for a lot of Matt Reeves films, including the the final planet of the apes uh film that he did which i thought was excellent so i want to hear what your take is and then i'll give mine on this carl so the michael giacchino uh did so many movies that everybody's heard of uh obviously uh some of the bigger ones like the jurassic world movies the planet of the apes movies I uh, believe he did one or more of the Star Trek movies with uh, Chris Pine. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Anyway, I mean, he's got a he's got a crazy good record of solid, solid like large scale orchestral stuff. I mean, like he he can do anything. Uh, that's that's a solid pick, I think, for this one. Um, the the Jonah Hill thing, I don't care. Um, I mean, like I was thought that'd be a good pick for a couple different things. We talked about it, you know, how he could make a good, uh, choice for one thing or the other, but I never thought that he was the correct pick for any particular role. Um, I thought that he would be, uh, I think that he would do a good job. Mm -hmm. Right. But he wasn't, he just never made it to my number one spot. I don't think, um, Paul Dano, I thought was freaking awesome ever since uh there will be blood and uh talk about it talk about an awesome movie um that's that's one of those movies that if you if you go on watching it thinking that you're going to get a lot of dialogue you're not okay like don't don't turn on there will be blood thinking that it's going to be like a romantic comedy or something that is uh that is about as moody of a movie as you can get but uh, it's filled with excellent acting. Uh, Paul Dano is no exception. So I would say that's a great pick for Riddler. Uh, it came out of left field. It wasn't on anybody's radar, really, uh, as far as you know the big movie news websites and things like that. But when that when that showed up, that was uh, that was a pretty cool pick. And then uh, they've they've been doing a really good job of keeping casting quiet for this movie, apparently, because 
the two hits that we've got, Paul Dano and Zoe Kravitz, they never even made mm-hmm. the lists. So I guess that they're learning from their experience with Robert Pattinson. But uh, the the Zoe Kravitz thing, okay. I mean, she is she a good actress? Yeah. Um, does she does she rock my world when it comes to acting? Uh, I've never had that experience uh, watching her in those roles. She's always been good and and she's never let me down, but uh, some of the other options that we've talked about, even some that we haven't, you know, things that have come up before. um, I mean, I do, I think she's a better pick than like Rihanna. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's a better pick than Rihanna, but uh, some of the other choices that were out there before I thought had a little bit better acting chops than Zoe Kravitz, but I'm willing to be surprised. Right. I mean, you're in a movie with like insanely good actors with Robert Pattinson and Paul Dano now. So it's going to be pretty obvious if you're the weak link, right? I I think that these are all good choices. Uh, Zoe Kravitz is the only one that I wouldn't put in probably the great column. So uh, we'll, we'll see. We've got what four more bad guys to fill out on the roster. I mean, this isn't exactly (laughs) over. Yeah. Yeah, um, so it's so far so good. Uh, the fact that they're getting these big names, especially a lot of indie film staples like Robert Pattinson and, and Paul Dano uh, to, to show up in this thing means that it's probably pretty thoughtfully written. Yeah. I don't think that they would sign up for this thing in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my kind of intangibles take on it. And I think that, you know, it, it's... It's in the right hands. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this is going to go a pretty good direction. With, I mean, it's not they're not selling this on the merits of like, hey, look, it's Batman, kind of like a, a Schumacher, yeah, you know, take. Like, it's it's more like a this is a really really like gritty indie movie that just happens to have Batman's name attached to it. And right. I, I mean, that's the only way you can have these kind of names showing up. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, are you where are you at on all of this? Yeah, so just beat for beat, I I can sense, and I mean, I think we all can sense that Matt Reeves has this under control, um, writing and directing this. This definitely has a sense of nostalgia factor to me in terms of what Christopher Nolan did, and everything was kept hush hush. And you might hear rumors like back then it was like, oh, Eddie Murphy is the Riddler, and all this other crap that was going on. And, uh, you know, and I think they even had like Philip Seymour Hoffman as the Joker or not the Joker uh, as the Penguin, you know, so right. there, there's all these rumors that always go wrong. And then it's like, oh, I didn't didn't see that name coming, you know. And and so, uh, yeah, but going into this uh, Jonah Hill. Yeah. To me, it just felt more convenient than anything, just because based on his looks. Yeah, he could, you know, and and based on what he's done recently. Yeah, he could do a crazy take on Riddler. Uh, but I never thought he really looked anything like Riddler. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, with the makeup, he probably looked pretty great as Penguin. And I was like, well, yeah, I could see that. And I would have been on board with that had Matt Reeves chosen him. But I just felt like he was more, had he been picked, it, it would have felt like kind of like what Marvel does where it's just convenient, you know? And it's yeah. like, eh, it kind of looks like him and throw it in there and that's eh, fine, you know? And uh, where. And again, you know, I don't want to trash on the Marvel movies, but I just kind of feel like this movie's taking, it's it's trying to be taken more seriously, kind of like um, a la 
the Christopher Nolan films where it's focusing right. in more on the acting, more on the grittiness, because this is supposed to be a noir type of take, a point of view take on the Batman, where you're following the Batman the whole time. There is no back and forth and zaniness or anything like that. This is supposed to be as gritty as possible. So if you take it in sort of that that aspect, uh, it, it all makes sense. So with Paul Dano being cast, I immediately like texted uh, Daniel, who, who's a big fan of uh, Prisoners and stuff like that with me. He's basically my film uh, buddy when it comes to you know that kind of stuff. And uh, Prisoners was the movie. I've seen Paul Dano, of course, and like, he was in The Girl Next Door. Uh, he was the right. the, the, <laughs> the nerdy friend, uh, yep. which is a great film. Uh, he, he's been in a lot of movies, but Prisoner, to me, is probably his best because, uh, and I won't get too much into it because we're kind of pressed for time, but he it's probably his most uh, harrowing role where it's just he's got to put a lot of emotion there, and it was like some of the best damn acting I've seen. Um, and he looks like the Riddler. So with him right. being a, a cunning, conniving Riddler, um, maybe murderous, you know, I, yeah, I could definitely see that here. So I immediately was just like, yes, this is perfect casting right here. Yeah, you know, it's it. not convenient. Like this guy can act his ass off. Uh, and then Zoe Kravitz, you know, being cast as Catwoman that can kind of came out of left field. Uh, you know, I really thought that they were going to go with some of the other stuff that was being rumored, but you know, that's what I get for <laughs> following the rumors. Because right. uh, I know they were talking to, I think her, her name was Vanessa Kirby, um, yeah. and they were talking to a few other actresses, and maybe that's true. But I'm I'm really interested to see who all auditioned for this role, because I'm sure there's probably a few in there that I could probably see a little bit more. The thing about Zoe Kravitz is, yeah, do I love and respect her dad? Absolutely. Like, one of the best artists and musicians of our time. Um, but uh, I don't really know Zoe Kravitz that well. I've seen her in a few things, but... You know, she's still she's 30 years old. You know, she's young and, and you know, it's kind of like Robert Pattinson. If, if you haven't seen any of his movies and he's done a lot of like indie films, um, then and, and, you know, all you know him as is Twilight, then you obviously don't get him. And it's kind of the same factor with Zoe Kravitz, I think. Um, I feel like that. Yeah, she could probably really act. The only thing that I'm kind of concerned about is uh, listen on IMDb. I think she's like five, one, five, two. And yeah. uh, I think. Uh, Robert Pattinson's like six two, so she's going to be like a midget compared to. And then you know, because that's the thing in in the comics, um, Catwoman is supposed to be of Cuban and Italian descent, and she is uh, supposed to be five foot seven. So I don't know. Maybe they're going to give her some pretty crazy stilettos, or I, yeah. I don't know what they're going to do to make up for the height difference. Or maybe I'm just thinking too much about it. But um, but I. You know, just seeing some renditions, artist renditions of her in the suit, you know, like the suit that I really want the Catwoman to be in from, you know, like a Hush or Long Halloween or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. She definitely has the look. Uh, I All I'm going to say is I'm going to trust in Matt Reeves at this point because everything is feeling beat by beat, just like how the Dark Knight trilogy was um, starting to culminate to be. Um, and I just feel like he really has his his direct control and his thumb on every little aspect of this so I'm going to trust in him I just my picks I think um you know I I really thought that Aubrey Plaza to, in my opinion would have been perfect Catwoman because she has that look and these eyes and everything and the only thing about her is we don't know if you know she 
I I've seen her act and and get really crazy with like uh like she did with Anchor Goes West. Um, mm-hmm. she went a little off the rails and you know everything, and she's got that sort of no fear factor about herself, which I feel like Catwoman possesses and Selena Kyle as well. And and she's you know gorgeous and captivating and all that, but at the same time, you know I don't know if she has that depth. Uh, in her to yeah. really bring out you see a little bit in child's play but i mean it's not really a fair comparison to really <laughs> look at child's play but i thought she did a decent job and so you know maybe zoe kravitz has that depth that she doesn't and and i kind of feel like based on looks and, and acting as well uh someone who does have that edginess uh is olivia wilde i feel like she has that look and she's got green eyes and everything. That's a good and, take. You know, and she's uh, she's about our age. She's like mid thirties, you know. So, yeah. but you know, I, maybe they they wanted to go after uh, someone that has a you know a little bit of uh, color to them, or or somebody that was just a little bit uh, more diverse and has a little bit more edginess. Because I I do agree that Zoe Kravitz does have edginess that she's bringing to every role that oh, she sure. has. Like, what is it, uh, Pretty Little Eyes that she was on? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's acting with, like, Meryl Streep and uh, Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon. And, you know, these are, like, you know, the the, the top female, like, you know, these are, like, the titans of, uh, of female actors. And mm-hmm. from what I've heard, I haven't watched the show, but she's able to hang with them. So That's good. Yeah, so, I, you know, I, I feel like, yeah, she wouldn't have been my pick, but I'm going to trust in Matt Reeves, and I'm going to see what she can do. I'm sure she'll blow me away, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, Good. And then the composer, yeah, I mean, he's done stuff, uh, even looking at his IMDb, he's even done the, the last two Spider-Man films. So <laughs> this guy has been a heavy hitter from day one. I mean, he's been in a lot of prolific films, as well as, uh, like I mentioned, with uh, Matt Reeves films and uh, the Planet of the Apes movie. So I feel like he can definitely bring that dark, harrowing type of uh, uh, theme that we're needing for the Batman here. Yeah, it's, it's a really good pick. Okay, we did it, guys. We went through the Batman news. Now we got to get to the most important news of the day. <laughs> <laughs> it is a, a landmark occasion for sensibly loud radio listeners because another live action Barney movie is coming your way. And that is Barney, the purple dinosaur, the one that we've all tried to forget about after our childhood. Uh, I, this is, this is not worth talking about outside of the fact that apparently uh, Daniel Kaluuya or Kaluuya. Is Mm -hmm. that right? Daniel Kaluuya. From Get Out and Black Panther, um, you'll you'll recognize him the second that you Google him. But uh, he is apparently attached to a live action Barney movie, and I've never been more excited because of the quote that he made for uh, I I can't remember who it was for, but uh, he he said Barney was a ubiquitous figure in many of our childhoods. Then he disappeared into the shadows, left misunderstood. We're excited to explore this compelling modern day hero and see if his message of I love you, you love me, can stand the test of time. Um, that is, God, that's magnificent. This, <laughs> this guy, I, I hope, God, good He Lord. needs to be part of the marketing campaign for this. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I, I hope, like, I hope he did drugs before he said that. <laughs> Well, Brandon, speaking of I love you and you love me, you may also love Audible. 
Audible is offering our listeners a free audio book with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Now we're going to talk about some really fucked up stuff. Yeah. Um, it's the fact that... <laughs> I'm sorry. That was that was great. So this is... This is uh, I'm sure Audible will be very pleased by the fact that they're followed up by this little tidbit of information. Uh, according to Vice, David Joyner, uh, the original Barney, the guy who was in the Barney suit, is now a tantric sex therapist. So that's really exciting. Uh, apparently he... <laughs> has uh has like 50 like women on his docket that pay $350 to get massages and have condomless sex. So congratulations to David <laughs> Joyner. <laughs> You've done it. Oh boy. A tantric sex therapist. Wow. Yeah, no that's real. Um yeah, I that's and like when you read some of the stuff that was on the Vice article, his producer for Barney, mm-hmm. uh was kind of like, yeah, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. I could see David doing that. He's a very <laughs> spiritual guy. And I was just like, <laughs> I mean, like, I guess it makes sense. You don't like where to, what a shit where you eat, but like, you don't, ah, God, I can't imagine that. Like being faced <laughs> with that kind of question, like, Hey, have you heard that David Joyner is now a tantric sex therapist? I guess that's fine. <laughs> I, I would expect that from Big Bird. I don't know about Barney. <laughs> that's actually that's a that's a solid point yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) barney good lord way to way to just dump all over my childhood interesting fact about barney did you know that that show was recorded uh all the the production everything was done in las colinas yeah i did know that and so now i'm wondering where where david joiner is practicing so (laughs) (laughs) David, if you're if you're all over the place in in Dallas, Texas, and you're and you're trying to find clients, you know, if you want to if you want a great interview, reach out to us. We'd be happy to have you on. Uh, especially if we get to talk about your current your current gig. Yeah. So. So. Yeah. Let me ask you. So, uh, growing up, you know, Barney was on the airwaves. I mean, uh, what did you think of Barney when you were a kid? I think uh, I was probably at the tail end of that experience. Like I got, I was, I was probably pretty excited, like right when it first came out. And, um, and then like probably, you know, I don't know. It was on the air for like, it was on the air for like 10 years. Right. So um, it kind of passed me by, right. Like probably two years after it came on. But uh, yeah, I mean, like it, it was, it was a good message. It was, it was an easy watch. You know, like the parents probably wanted to like drill their brains out, but you know, listening to the same shit over and over again. But it was um, overall, uh, it was fine for a kids show. It was about, it was about on par with what you'd expect at that time. What was it like early '90s kind of thing? I mean, we had we eclipsed like the captain kangaroo thing and everything like that. So I yeah. think that, that lamb was chop. about lamb chop. Yep. It was about, that was about right for that time period. Just like mindless love, everybody mm-hmm. kind of stuff coming out of a purple dinosaur's mouth. And, uh, that's fine. 
but what did what did you think about them? Yeah, it was basically like you know hippies in a dinosaur setting. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah uh, but yeah, it my my little sister watched it and she was a big fan of uh, I think it was I think the dinosaur was called Bebop, the green one. Yeah. Anyways, I don't know how I still remember that stuff, but uh, yeah, it it was an interesting show. You know, yeah, it was kind of like trying to be the modern day. Uh, you know, Mr. Rogers type thing, but a big purple dinosaur. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's it 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 was one of those shows that just tried to have a good message. And yeah, the song got annoying, but you know, every show had its own song that got annoying. True. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I feel like doing this live action Barney film. I'm I'm kind of interested to see like which studio is doing this. Is it PBS or or is it an actual like uh, what production company is doing this? And I'm guessing that the whole reason this is coming to fruition is because of the Mr. Rogers thing. Um, I feel like a lot of things are going to be going down in terms of documentaries coming up, which I'm kind of all for. Like if they did a documentary on, you know, maybe it's already been done, but something on Sesame Street or Fraggle Rock or, you know, stuff that came on when we were kids, Um, you know, that nostalgia factor is strong, uh, whether it comes to music or TV or movies. I think that's why remakes have been commercially successful. And then a lot of these documentaries have been too. So yeah, I don't know if this one's uh, exactly necessary, especially if uh, David Joyner is now a tantric sex therapist. Uh, You know, if they go down that road of uh, doing a documentary, maybe don't talk about what's going on in today. Uh, You know, just just focus on the past (laughs) and uh, I think they'll be good. We could get a, like a special shout out to David Joyner at the end of this live action Barney movie. That would be pretty good. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it could also be, I, and I don't know any background on this, but like there's a thought process that maybe this is, you know, 20 years later, Barney is getting big overseas kind of thing. And so like maybe they're capitalizing on that market and we're just kind of along for the ride. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, there's always that possibility, but um, yes. Daniel Kaluuya, thank you for uh, plucking Barney from obscurity since he disappeared into the shadows and was left misunderstood and uh, giving us the hero that we deserve. Um, another another great thing that is full of nostalgia for me that I want to talk about today is the fact that we just got a green light for Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah. The remake. Um. I actually think I wrote Walker, Texas remake in the run sheet. So that's even better. Um, yeah. So I actually, I loved this show when I was growing up and I think that it was because I didn't know what actual good TV was. Yep. Um, I, I was young enough to where it was, uh, these are, these are dark post Barney days for mountain Carl, but <laughs> I saw, I actually saw one of the episodes being filmed. Oh, really? Um, it was it was like a uh, car dealership, and then it had Walker and his partner in their like jacked up Dodge Ram with like the KC lights on it. You know? Oh, yeah. And they're like tearing ass through a car dealership parking lot, and then they get out, and then they yell something. And so I got like I was standing there watching that being shot like forty times um as they'll do but i I realized later on why i loved the absurdity of walker texas ranger 
And, uh, and I think that it had a lot to do in, in this, I don't know how involved they were, but did you remember like Canon pictures, like from the, from the eighties and everything they did like masters of the universe and, you know, like Delta force and oh they, yeah, they were about as ubiquitous as like porn directors were. I mean, like they, they put out like 200 movies a year. Yep. Um, they, they are, if, if you're not familiar with Canon pictures, um, and they, again, they may only be tangentially associated with Walker, Texas, Texas Ranger, but there's a, uh, a movie on Netflix. I don't know if it's still on Netflix. It's a documentary. Mm-hmm. That was called electric boogaloo. And it was the, documentary of canon pictures and how like the the globus uh cousins i guess that were uh direct or producing these movies that were just absolute schlock and uh but they were i just loved them i mean like they were awesome and uh yeah i i don't know i left <laughs> not not wondering I, i've heard schlock said a bunch but if that is a like a objective like bad term we need to cut that out <laughs> <laughs> um so it, the uh the thing that I, I was putting together here is that when i was watching my Buchanan films when i was growing up they were they were crap but i loved them like i ate them up like mm-hmm. american ninja and stuff like that and uh and then here is Walker, Texas Ranger. And I think I found out that a few of those episodes were actually produced by Canon Films. Hmm. And it all, God, I mean, if that is true, that is, that all makes so much sense now. Yeah, it does. Uh, because, like, the uh, just the actual quality of the video, like, they had the classic, like, speed up fight scenes and, and like, throwing people out of a window every five minutes. And uh, I just love that show so much. Uh, another great bit is, uh, uh, is it Conan? Yeah. Um, do, had a, uh, Walker, Texas Ranger lever that he would throw on his late night show. Oh yeah. Like three weeks. <laughs> Forgot about that's that. That's a, that's a great bit. Yeah. That's, I, that's going to be a compilation <laughs> on YouTube or something. <laughs> so yeah. he would, he would be like saying stuff and, and they'd be talking about it and then he would just like you know, tease the audience by like leaning over and like acting like he was about to like throw the Walker, Texas Ranger lever, like in the middle of an interview, I mean, yeah. like randomly and everyone would be like, you know, Oh, Oh. And like, you would throw it and it'd just be like a roundhouse kick to like an old woman or something. <laughs> it was just, ah, it's so great. I, I love that show so much. The, the funniest clip that would come up was, uh, I remember watching it like the live or, or whenever the episode premiered and it was uh, it was the clip of a young, like a really young Haley Joe Osmond. It was like Walker told me I have AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it goes back to Conan, and he's just like, "What?" <laughs> he's like, "I," because that's all it is. Like, there's no like context or nothing. <laughs> Haley Joe Osmond, that guy, that guy, he looks like his body grew up and his head did not. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I agree. Very but uh, yeah, uh, I watched those uh, Walker Texas Rangers episodes because there really wasn't anything on back in the day. You had like Power Rangers and everything else, and yeah, it was just something mindless to watch. But yeah, so this remake, I guess, uh, be rebooted on CW. We don't really know who's playing Walker and his partner yet. Um, so I think uh, I think they've mentioned yeah. Jared Padalecki, the guy from uh, Supernatural, mm-hmm. the long-haired dude, who I think is actually a 
Texas native. I think they're shooting this one in Austin instead of Dallas, which is uh, really depressing for me. Yeah. Uh, because uh, there'd be nothing greater than like taking a like a thing of popcorn <laughs> to go watch a Walker Texas Ranger <laughs> episode be shot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the original one was filmed in Fort Worth quite a bit. Yeah. 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 It's it's in the Metroplex for sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it is what it is. They'll probably try to make it like give it the good old fashioned grit makeover. And, yeah. you know, it's I'm sure they'll have all kinds of weird subtext because it's the CW and there's they can't get away from that. Yeah. But, uh, It'll be fun, I think. Uh, I mean, as long as it's got at least a little bit of goofiness to it, but there's no guarantee. Uh, Chuck Norris was his own animal. Oh, yeah. All the things that he did were their own special kind of weird and funny for the wrong reasons. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Uh, What else is going on? Uh, Well, uh, so Matrix 4, there's some uh, casting news that came down the pike. Neil Patrick Harris has been cast in Matrix 4, so no one really knows if he's going to be an enemy or one of the the lead protagonists. Um, But uh, great actor. Uh, I've seen him in some really dramatic roles like Gone Girl comes to mind. Um, I think he definitely has the acting chops for something serious. I, I could see him potentially being like an agent or something like that be real sinister um so i don't know what do you think about this it's hard for me to imagine him in anything that's not an agent now that you mentioned it um who's the who's a guy with all the tv screens the key key master or um i'm not thinking ghostbusters i don't know but uh whoever whoever that guy was the colonel sanders looking dude in the middle of the room with all the different you know, TV screens and everything. Oh yeah. 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 Um, I could see him like kind of being a reformatted version of that guy. Um, the, the funny thing about the matrix trilogy, especially the second one is that they really, when they, the first one kind of had its own rules that it played by, and it was a really nice, you know, tight script and, and kind of knew what you're getting into. Uh, reloaded kind of uh, took that and just like spread it out to a bunch of different stuff and, and like every like a bunch of different locales and and a lot of different actors playing different parts that like expanding this world that you didn't really expect to be expanded so much and so if if there is this kind of treatment where they go that direction he could play anybody yeah. You know, I mean, it depends on it depends on who they write him in as. Uh, I think that'd be pretty awesome if he was an agent. I haven't really seen him personally in like a super nefarious role, um, but I mean, I, I could get behind that. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I'm I'm hoping they do some very original characters, and not just recycled characters we've seen in the past. Kind of like what Star Wars has been doing. Like it's all right. recycled stuff. And, uh, you know, even though they're new characters, they have their own sort of different takes. But, yeah, I, I feel like uh, him being cast is a good thing. Uh, we also have some other news. Um, Edge of Tomorrow, uh, which is also originally known as Live, Die, Repeat. All you need is Kill, um, and so on and so forth. Yeah, four uh, different titles for the same movie. Yeah, but great great movie starring Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt. Um, the, the sequel has been written. Uh, this has been talked about ever since the movie came out because it was a commercial success. It was a critical success. Uh, I'm definitely interested in seeing a sequel. 
So I'm glad that they've taken the time to write something and uh, having more time to write something usually ensures that you're going to have a successful outing for a sequel. So hoping that uh, this is going to be something really captivating. I love this movie. Um, I, I haven't read the, the source material, which I believe was a manga, but the, uh, the, the, and again, like, I don't understand how this movie got like at least two different names. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I got the Blu-ray and it had both names on the, blu-ray and i was just like what the hell is going on here right right so i i don't know if it suffered from confused uh marketing and distribution or it was known differently here than it was overseas and um, you know like they just kind of like threw everything as a mashup together on the same disc and threw it out the door uh but no i, I think god i love tom cruise in this movie i mean i and i i definitely I enjoy Tom Cruise as an action actor, but there was a, like a little bit of, uh, I guess my, the part that I enjoyed most about this was the kind of the, the levity and like the exasperation that he showed throughout the movie gave him more of kind of a grounded feel than he gets in a lot of his other like hard edged super spy mission impossible, Jack Reacher type films. Mm -hmm. It, and it's kind of fun. I mean, like you don't get to see him do the action type thing. I mean, like, yes, we've all seen Tropic Thunder in the fat suit. <laughs> right. But he, I've never really seen him bring that kind of levity to an action movie. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm applying levity to him being exasperated, but that was, I mean, it's part of the comic bit, you know, that he's, you know, he's tired of dying and getting re, you know, uh, resurrected, you know, every five minutes and that kind of thing. So it's, it's actually a really, it was, it's a really well, I think written movie. And yeah. I really enjoyed uh, the tight narrative and it kept me, kept me involved the entire time. I don't know what kind of sequel they're going to do this, but if he's involved and the original team's involved, uh, I'm all for it. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I just hope that you know we got Emily Blunt, we got everybody back, and just see like them continuing on and realizing oh, there's still some things that haven't been taken care of yet that we we still need to do, or you know maybe those uh, alien things come back. You know, like right. I'm sure that wasn't their entirety of the of their race. So, but yeah, uh, but yeah we have some uh, other news as well. Uh, the director from Drive, as well as Neon Demon, uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, uh, is making a. He's he basically has his hand in making a Maniac Cop TV series. So Maniac Cop was a pretty somewhat well known, but more of a cult following, if anything, uh, movie that came out in the eighties. There were a series of sequels. Uh, pretty insane uh, premise to it. Have you seen Maniac Cop? <laughs> yeah, I've seen. I've seen the clips of it and everything. Like I get why it's a cult movie. Um, it's got Robert Zadar as the uh, lead in it, who plays the, you know, eponymous maniac cop. And uh, man, I, I don't know if I love Robert Zadar as a person or as an actor or anything, but that chin though, Holy Lord. <laughs> like that guy, he is, uh, he is rocking, rocking some serious facial facial structure um he 
I think that he is only cast in Maniac Cop. Like, <laughs> I mean, I know he's got other movies that he was in. I've seen his IMDb page, but in every movie that he is in, I like to watch it as if he's Maniac Cop. <laughs> That's a fun game to play. <laughs> That's a good play. It's a good game to play. <laughs> but tell tell people what Maniac Cop is is a synopsis because it's hard to wrap your head around. Like the title says it most of it, but it's kind of like, what are you really getting into? And they kind of they show it off in like the first ten minutes of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really weird. It, it's you know, it's kind of like how criminals uh, at, at first they're just like there's this sort of uh, rumor going around, you know, kind of like in Batman, you know, there's this bat, there, there's no giant bat, and then it shows up, you know, kind of like in the '89 one, and uh, so it's it's kind of like a like a zombie cop in a way, but he he goes through and he he kills, you know. It, a lot of times he'll end up killing uh, bad guys and stuff, but he's just like unstoppable. You can fire a bullet at him, whatever, and and his face is just completely maimed. But he's he's wearing a complete police officer uniform, even with the hat, and it's just. Yep. <laughs> it, it, but it it really harkens back to sort of the eighties, uh, you know, action flicks and kind of the stuff you were referencing earlier with uh, with cannons. So yeah. Uh, but it's always got this sort of dark, nostalgic, violent factor to it. So I think with Nicholas winning Refn having his hand in this, I don't know if he's directing it, but I think he's probably producing it. And he'll probably bring in a director that kind of is similar to his artistic, you know, directorial style. So I think that fits perfectly with this. Yeah. No, if you're going to if you're going to bring back Maniac Cop, which uh, without Zadar, I don't know who you're going to pick that has like I mean, he was so unique looking that I don't really know who you get for this role unless you're going for, I mean, it is is Nicholas winning Refn, so it's kind of like an under, it could go for a more understated mm-hmm. kind of thing. I, I understand that, but, you know, it's, it's never, it's never the people themselves in his movies that necessarily stick out to me. It's always the environment that they're in. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, the, the wardrobe is important as well for these movies that he does, but like the crazy ass neon soaked, you know, like just blood stained, just whack job of a scene that he paints for all of his movies. Uh, it, it really will lend itself well to any kind of maniac cop project. Yeah. I think it'll make it very visceral. So yeah, I think this is a perfect pairing. Um, and then, in, uh, speaking of stuff that's bloody and bloodstained, uh, we also have some other new news. Uh, so, new Evil Dead movie is coming down the pike, um, and the director has been handpicked by Sam Raimi, who did the Evil Dead remake uh, film that came out. Uh, Bruce Campbell is not going to be in it because he has uh, basically officially said he's retired uh, as playing Ash in any other Evil Dead movies that might come up. Uh, you know, I wasn't a fan of the Evil Dead remake that came out. I guess that was like a decade ago or earlier this decade. Uh, yeah. It just didn't feel like the Evil Dead film I was used to, which was made by just a group of dudes who were young and Bruce Campbell getting his start and you just see how crazy things get. Uh, and a lot of it had some parody and some funny moments in it. 
whereas this one was trying to be taken more seriously and i don't know i just didn't feel like it was cast well or, or done well but uh yeah it's full-on horror kind of thing yeah so i don't know if they're going to go back the direction of uh kind of what the evil dead movies were and, and with this new one i don't even know if we need one uh but what's your take on this I, what was your favorite i mean have you seen ash versus the evil dead oh yeah yeah love that show uh what what was your favorite of of the TV and uh, movie series? What, which one was your favorite? I, I think I know the answer because I think it's the answer that everybody's going to give. But uh, what's your, what's your take? Army of Darkness. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. what I thought. It's not. It's hard to escape that movie's orbit when yeah. you're talking about any kind of Evil Dead stuff. Um, it it's the most over the top. It's the one that kind of sets the tempo <laughs> yeah. for. Uh, Ash versus Evil Dead. So, if and if you haven't if you haven't done yourself a favor, you can probably. I mean, at this point, if you you're gonna have to sit through one gory one, you know, that's not as funny before you see Army of Darkness. But if if you're going to go ahead and watch any of the Evil Deads, uh, sit through Evil Dead Two, mm-hmm. and then watch uh army of darkness and and that's the payoff right like that's the palate cleanser and i think that uh if you don't have to commit to ash versus the evil dead just know that that story from army of darkness has gone on to be its own thing like he ash wasn't famous initially for evil dead 2 yeah right it was a it was a cool horror movie and it was it was done in a way that pretty much only sam raimi could shoot it Mm -hmm. uh which is always great to have a hallmark directorial style but the the thing that i always got was that army of darkness was the one that everybody remembered because it's what made ash williams famous right it's what gave him the the chainsaw hand and the boomstick and and all that kind of stuff so uh i'm not going to spoil that one for you even though it's a gazillion years old because it's something you should go see yeah um it's it's actually i mean to say that it holds up well doesn't matter no it's a it's very much a cult following type thing yeah 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 it doesn't i mean like you're gonna if you if you're into cult you know, horror movies and stuff that has like an absolute level of absurdity to it. Uh, yeah. Watch evil dead Two. watch, uh, army of darkness and, uh, rejoice in the absurdity that is Sam Raimi's brain. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so speaking of absurdity. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. The, uh, something, uh, that kind of popped up on our radar recently was mm-hmm. that Jared Leto, um, tried to stop the Joker movie. From being made now i i think that this is a lot of there's a lot of back and forth like he d- denies this obviously and uh just like he denies the fact that he has uh i don't know that, that he like sent presence of like dead rats and shit to like his group and suicide squad like the mm-hmm. casting and that he'd go out and pretend that he's the joker in public um you're going full on method acting. Uh, anyway, he denies most of that kind of stuff and that's fine. I don't know if it's true or not. Um, 
but it sounds I would I would definitely venture on the side of yes it happened just because of seeing the way he acts and the people that he's been with but uh in movies but the uh the fact that he actually tried to to completely like put a stop to a independent film for the Joker because he wasn't in it mm-hmm. seems really super petty. Yeah. Me. I mean, it's, it's pretty childish and, um, and I'm fairly sure all those antics that he did, uh, for the set, like sending Margot Robbie a rat and doing some sending someone else snakes. And yeah, I'm 99% sure it happened because I, I remember they were doing, you know, cast interviews and stuff when suicide squad had come out and, uh, you know, people basically said that, yeah, like that happened. So I take a lot of people lying for that not to happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the the thing is, I think going into that movie, you know, Jared Leto was just kind of like, OK, I got to, you know, I got to live up to Heath Ledger and I got to do all this stuff. And then on top of that, you have Jared Leto's uh, ego and right. with his ego. Yeah, he thinks he is the actor's actor. The thing that doesn't help, and, and it was a good movie, but, you know, Dallas Buyers Club, he got an Oscar for that, uh, mm-hmm. for his performance, and rightfully so. But ever since then, he's got Oscar fever. You know, he's got the Oscar head, uh, you know, in, in his brain, and and a lot of things are not good enough, whether it's the craft services, whether it's this or that, you know, and everybody should be rolling out the red carpet for him wherever he goes. And it's kind of like, you got to get off your high horse there, buddy. Like, you got to yeah. be... You know, you look at like Joaquin Phoenix, for example, you know, yeah, sometimes he might be a little difficult on set, but, you know, you see sort of the behind the scenes and him and Todd Phillips are laughing and, you know, I don't think he really takes himself that seriously. Uh, He's a pretty, pretty, uh, you know, like he, I think having that accolade of of winning an Oscar like he did, um, I believe with Gladiator, uh, you know, he's, but he's a very humble type of guy. You have to be humble to be an actor's actor, you know, whether and Daniel Day Lewis or whoever. It also makes me wonder if if Joaquin Phoenix, while he's very method and everything, can compartmentalize, right? I, I mean, like, yeah, he he's going to be a very method guy, and like you saw him do kind of that. Uh, uh, oh God, I can't believe I'm bringing this up, but it was like a strange like meta project that he did with um, Wahlberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember that? Yeah, but. Uh, I can't remember what that was called. It was like now you see me or something. But yeah. um but yeah, anyway, it's it doesn't matter. The fact is that I think he can switch it on and off. You know, maybe not easily, but I, I think that he can he'll commit to that bit, you know, for months at a time or a year or whatever to make something like that. But then he'll go and he'll be very uh method and do a Joker movie. But if somebody's like Hey, can I come in and, and get your autograph? He's not gonna like, you know, spray him with fake blood or something like that. So it's, you know, I, I don't know. He seems like a guy that that can give an interview and not lose his damn mind. Yeah, it. But going so a little bit further into this story, I was reading up about because this all came through an article uh, that was written by Hollywood Reporter, and it basically talked about how. He was using his agents at the CAA, uh, which is uh, agents that were representing him and and everything. Uh, So he's going through his agents. He was going through his uh, manager uh, that he has uh, for his acting, I think, as as well as with 30 Seconds to Mars and trying to pull any weight he can to pull these strings whenever he first started hearing that 
this movie was being developed by Todd Phillips and was like, you need to stop this and tried er anything and everything possible. Well, since then, his manager has has since quit um, after nine years of being his manager. And he's gone through agent after agent because he's trying to find the right ones that I guess are loyal to him and think along the same lines he does. And, and maybe there's some credence there. You know, I'm not going to basically just say that he's you know, wrong for doing that because I'm sure it happens. And, uh, and I believe CAA dropped him. Um, mm. so, you know, he's, I just kind of feel like hearing all of that, that he was trying to, to go that hard and that much behind the scenes to get this, uh, being prevented, which he miserably failed at doing by the way. And I'm glad he did because we ended up getting one of the best work of arts ever, uh, with the Joker and, um, and seeing Joaquin Phoenix who, was superb in the role, uh, way better than what Leto did. Um, you know, but the thing is, I think, uh, going back to suicide squad, Leto did himself and it's even says this in Hollywood reporter. And I can't remember who said it, but it, there was a quote in there that basically stated that, you know, Leto did himself a disservice on the set because he was trying to make it all about him. And suicide squad is an ensemble type of cast. And, you know, you just let the performances do the thing. You don't need to do all these antics. Doing those antics, uh, you know, there was uh, in the in the article, Warner Brothers wasn't really happy with that. They weren't happy with a lot of things he was doing, um, as well as I'm sure he was a pain in the ass to work with. And sure. so this just kind of backs that up. Uh, so having a big ego and thing like things like that, I mean, he pretty much, uh, you know, wrote himself out of it. Now I know that you know, he worked a lot of months and, and on the look of the, of the Joker and everything. And I think that's why a lot of people didn't like it just based on the look, but too, I, I just didn't really feel like he was the Joker. He was just kind of a wannabe at that point. So yeah, uh, let that be a, uh, a lesson to all, uh, do not have a big sense of ego. And if you're in an ensemble cast, just let your performance speak for itself. Kind of like what, uh, Margot Robbie did, you know, yeah. things are working out for her. Certainly are. And especially when, uh, you try to make it all about yourself and your entire role is basically a glorified cameo. That's a, that's a real, you know, shit show that you're asking for as far as from your people that you're shooting with. So, uh, cause then it makes it seem like, okay, well I'm in the movie for 10 minutes, you know, but I feel like I'm the most important guy here. I mean, he really wasn't that big of a part of the movie anyway. Like I just, I mean like, and he got what, like Rick Ross to do like a, purple Lamborghini music video with him or something. I mean, like that, I don't know. Not, none of it, none of it makes sense. It didn't, man. Not at and, all. And I just, God, oh man, everything sucked about that. Yeah. Anyway. I'm just glad that Joker has come out and cleansed everybody's palates in terms of like, you know, okay. Yeah. yeah you know, like we can forget about that now. <laughs> I can confirm that Joker is a one star movie because it doesn't have a purple Lamborghini in it. Yep. Yeah. That's just, it's just not good. I gotta, <laughs> gotta scrap the whole project. Yeah. And you need a, you need to have a grill and you need to have damage tattoo on his forehead. Have damage tattooed on my forehead. <laughs> just scrap the whole thing. Go give me Pluto Nash too. Uh, We've been asking for it for years. Yeah. And I'm sure he was promised, you know, like, okay, if this does well, like this is what things are going to look like. You're going to get your own Joker film thing, you know, but the thing is it was all wrapped up in the DEC EU nonsense that happened so you know this is it ended up getting rebooted that's what happens it happens all the time in hollywood so yeah fortunately or unfortunately yep 
Well, this has been a great episode, Carl. Uh, unfortunately, we run out of time. Uh, thank you for all of our listeners out there. Again, you can find us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Sensibly Loud. You can also find us on Facebook at Sensibly Loud Media. Uh, check out all of our great shows. We have great hosts, great content. Uh, just go there, do it, listen to us. Again, you can call us at 972-885-9361. Leave a voice message for us, and we love to, uh, to talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. So be sure to do that. Follow us. Stay tuned for next episode, and we'll see you next time on Sensibly Loud Radio.